0: Let's pray, and we'll dig into the Word this morning. Think about what David said, Psalm 119, Oh, how I love your law, it is my meditation all the day. And that he treasured your law more than piles of gold and silver. And it was sweeter to him than honey. Lord, unless you work in our hearts, we won't feel anything near that. But we ask you to work in our hearts so that as we open up your word, it would be sweet and it would be precious and we would love your word. Do that in my heart. Help me as I preach and do that in all of our hearts, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. I want to start off just with a, a, a mental picture. If you're if you're a follower of Jesus, then it's like you're on a road, okay? Windy road, long and windy road, heading to paradise, the new heavens, the new earth. You're traveling there with your brothers and sisters. We're seeking to bring as many other people onto this road and onto this journey as we can, but we're all headed towards the new heavens and the new earth where we will be in the presence of Jesus Christ, the, the infinite supreme glory of the universe forever. So that's, that's our lives. We're on this road. And Jesus said that the road would not be easy. Okay? In this world, you will have tribulation. And, and he said that we would be facing temptations at every corner, every turn of the road. We'd be facing temptations. Kind of picture, you're on this road and like vicious animals are going to be jumping at it, just seeking to attack you and overcome you and devour you. So Jesus said, on this road, you're going to be facing temptation. But the good news is that Jesus has given us all the weapons that we need in order to resist, and overcome, and defeat any temptation that comes our way. He's given us all the weapons that we need to resist, overcome, and defeat every temptation. But the sad thing is that there's one weapon in particular that many followers of Jesus never use. It's kind of uh, mind-blowing. It's a very powerful weapon. And it's a weapon that, with many temptations I have experienced, it plays the crucial role in resisting and overcoming a temptation. But too many followers of Jesus never, never use it. And so the result is that there's times where too many followers of Jesus are attacked when they didn't need to be, are overcome when they didn't need to be, are defeated when they didn't need to be. So what is this weapon? What is it? And how can we use it? Turn to James chapter 2. He talks about it in James 2, 8 through 13. So go ahead and turn there. If you need a Bible, why don't you go ahead and raise your hand. Uh, we always like to make sure everybody's got a Bible in front of you that you can look at. The Bible's what's important here. My job is to point you to the Bible. I want you walking away thinking not of anything I would have said but what the Bible says. So I want you to have the Bible open in front of you. And uh, James 2 is on page 1011, 1011 in the Bibles that we're passing out. Okay, now last week we saw in James chapter 2, verse 1, James' main point was don't show partiality, which means don't don't, uh, let your love for people be affected by whether they're rich or whether they're poor. Don't treat people differently based on wealth or power or popularity or unpopularity or poverty, that sort of thing. So, for example, if Mike Singletary... Okay, coach of the 49ers walked in here on a Sunday morning or became part of your home group, you would respond to Michael Singletary. You'd love him and welcome him just as much as you would a homeless person who walked in on a Sunday morning or joined your home group. That's no partiality. So that's what James is talking about, verses 1 through 7. Now, in verses 8 through 13, James gives us this crucial weapon which will help us when we're tempted to show partiality, or he broadens it out to cover every temptation, as you'll see. So what is the weapon? It's a warning. It's warnings, biblical warnings that he gives us. The Holy Spirit led him to write them in verses 8 through 13. Warnings are a powerful weapon that God, in his love and mercy and compassion, gives us so we can pull that weapon of warnings out and resist and overcome temptations when they come. But like I said, I mean, think, when was the last time you used a warning to resist and overcome temptation? I would guess many of you would say, well, I, it's been a long time, or maybe never. I think in some cases, we're not sure if the warnings apply to us, or we're not sure how to understand them, or we're not sure how to use them, Okay. So I'm praying that this morning all of us will have our eyes opened afresh to this powerful weapon of biblical warnings that God has given to us by which we can resist and overcome temptation so that we'll use them this week, like this afternoon when you're tempted. You will be tempted this afternoon and you can use a warning. Or in your home group, if a brother or sister is being tempted, that with humility and grace you could could share the biblical warning with them. So I'm praying that After today, we will all be rising up and using these warnings. So look at what James says in James chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, and then he quotes Leviticus 19, 18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, which Jesus also quoted, you're doing well. But, here's the warning. If you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable or guilty for all of it. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And notice, verse 9, James talks about partiality, which shows he's continuing the same topic he was doing in verses 1 through 7 from last week. And then in verses 8 and 9, notice that what James does is, is in those two verses, he tells us what happens to us, he warns us about what's going to happen to us if we willfully disobey Jesus, if we willfully, knowingly, unrepentantly disobey Jesus and show partiality. What happens to us? Look at those verses again. Verses 8 and 9. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you should love your neighbors yourself, you're doing well, because you're not showing partiality. But if you show partiality, here's what happens. You're committing sin, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Okay, so verse 8 for loving our neighbors as ourselves, not showing partiality, we're doing well. Verse nine: If we knowingly disobey Jesus, without repentance, without remorse, without resisting, we just show partiality towards the rich, shun the poor, then James says that what happens to us is that we're committing sin and we're going to be convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, what does that mean? who were convicted by the law as transgressors. What James is saying is that if after the service today, I shun someone here because you're poor or because you're not important to me or whatever, and I I fawn over or or favor someone because you're wealthy or because you're popular or cool or whatever it might be, James is saying if if I do that after the service today, knowingly, willingly, disobeying Jesus without repentance, without remorse, then I am committing sin and I am convicted by the law as a transgressor. Okay, but if you've read Paul's writings like in Galatians and Romans, you know that we're all convicted by the law as transgressors. Right? I mean, aren't we all? Read Galatians, read Romans, you'll see that. So what's he talking about here? James is talking about something different than that. First of all, he's talking about By the law here, he uses the phrase royal law in verse 8, and then down in verse 12, he talks about the law of liberty. He's talking here about the Old Testament as it was explained by Jesus and the apostles. The Old Testament as it's explained in the New Testament. He's talking about God's message in this book. He's talking about the law, Old Testament, Torah, God's instruction. He's talking about the gospel of the New Testament. What is God's message to us saying? And I put this down under your notes, I think a couple points down, I changed the order this morning, but it's basically saying two things. Okay, the first thing it's saying is this, Old Testament, Isaiah 53, Genesis 15, 6, uh, Exodus 34, 6, and 7, there's forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ, Jesus explains that. One thing that the law, the gospel, the Bible is saying is that if you are trusting Jesus, if you're trusting Jesus Christ, then you are, because of his death on the cross, completely forgiven for all of your sins, and you are not convicted by the law as a transgressor anymore. You're forgiven, you're redeemed, you're adopted, you're loved, you're born again, you're on the road, paradise is coming, you're saved. If, if what? If you're trusting Jesus. That's one thing that this book would say. Now, this book would also say, if you are knowingly, willfully disobeying Jesus without repentance, without remorse, then that shows that you're not trusting Jesus. And because you're not trusting Jesus, you are not forgiven. You are still convicted by the law as a transgressor. So that's what James is saying. In verse 9. If I am willfully, knowingly, unrepentantly disobeying Jesus by showing partiality, then I'm sinning. That knowing, willful, unrepentant sin shows that I'm not trusting Jesus, and unless something changes, I'm not I'm, I'm, not, I'm not forgiven. I never was saved. I'm convicted by the law as a transgressor. That's what James is saying. That's what happens if we willfully ongoingly, unrepentantly disobey Jesus. Now, do you see why I I, I call this sermon warnings? This is a warning. God, in His love and mercy, has brought you here today. I would imagine that some of you especially need to hear this warning, and it's because He loves you. If a blind man is running towards a cliff, the loving thing is to Warn him! Stop! God loves you. He loves me. He may be shouting, stop, this morning. Don't be offended. <laughs> he loves you. Okay. This is what happens if we willfully disobey Jesus. Now, at this point in James' argument, he anticipates an objection. He's anticipating somebody saying, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Just Hold on for a second. Are you telling me that one area of my life of willful disobedience against Jesus makes me completely guilty? Well, what about, I mean, I'm here in church, aren't I? And I I pray, and I, I work hard at my job, and I love my kids, and I'm an honest person. I mean, what about all those other things I do? Are you really telling me that all the other commands I'm keeping don't count for anything? Like, if I've got one area of my life of willful, ongoing disobedience to Jesus Christ... I mean, like, sure, I'm maybe a little bit guilty, but what about all the other stuff? Maybe I'm like five percent guilty, but like one hundred percent guilty. If I have one area of unrepentant, willful sin, that's the question James raises next. What if I've kept all the other commands? And look at what he says. Actually, just before we read the verse, just ponder this. Uh, I mean, I would guess that some of us have have thought along these lines, like. You know, this one area of sin's okay, and then we rationalize it because of every other area. Like, a little gossip is, is it's just, it's just gossip. I mean, I love my kids, I, I take care of my husband, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a forgiving person, so gossip's fine. Or a little bit of porn's fine. You know, I mean, I, I, I work hard at my job, I provide for my family, I mean, I, I go to church, I'm involved in ministry, I mean, right? We can tend to think about it that way. Look at what James says in verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has one area of knowing, willful, ongoing, unrepented sin, has become accountable, or the New American Standard, I think, is more accurate on this point, has become guilty for all of it. So if you break in an ongoing, willful way without repentance, without help me, Jesus, just breaking it. One of Jesus' commands, in an ongoing way, you're guilty of everything. You are 100% guilty. You're counted by the law as a transgressor. God's word looks at you and says, it's not just that you used to be a transgressor, you are still counted by me, my will, the gospel, as a transgressor. Why? Look at verse 11. Here's why. For he who said do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. It, it's because we're not dealing with an abstract, impersonal list of, like like the San Jose traffic code. It's, it's not an impersonal list of laws. We're dealing with a person here. God has said to us, do not commit adultery, do not murder. Jesus in the New Testament repeated these. Jesus Christ said, do not commit adultery, do not murder. We're, 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 we're responding to a person here in rebellion picture like this see if you can feel this picture yourself standing in front of Jesus Christ which we all are all the time and so here's Jesus before you creator god savior god the god man glorious full of love a fountain of goodness to everyone who will turn to him flawless in wisdom matchless in his goodness just he's always been faithful faithful faithful, and and even though you've turned against him and have sinned and deserve eternal punishment, in amazing mercy he came to the earth to be punished in your place. So you're standing before Jesus Christ, the God-man creator who saved you, who came to the earth to die on the cross to pay for sins. So just picture, you're standing before him. And he willingly was beaten and was had a crown of thorns crushed down onto his scalp and allowed his hands to be nailed to the cross and his feet to be nailed to the cross, at any moment he could have said, done, no, I'm out of here. And we would all be damned because of that. But Jesus was willing to take the punishment that I deserve, that you deserve, and pay, 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 suffer, suffer, pay. So he said, it is finished, right? The debt has been paid in full. Okay, so there he is. He's Savior. Now, there's one more thing though that he's done. We were all still his enemies. We were not interested. We were part of the crowd that said crucify! Crucify him! That, that's what, in our, all of our hearts. So he, if you're trusting Jesus right now, he looked down upon you in love and with affection, with care, as his enemy, as shouting crucify! Crucify him! And he said, I'm going to save. And so he reached down with his power and he subdued your rebellious heart and he took out the heart of stone and gave you a heart of flesh, gave you repentance, gave you faith so that you, (laughs) my heart's changed. Jesus, I see who you are. I love you. And you turn and you trusted him. And at that moment you were completely forgiven for all of your sins. Okay. Are you getting the picture? This is who you're standing before. He has always only loved you. He has always only only been good to you. He has been 100% faithful and caring and gracious and compassionate, pure 100% goodness flowing from him to you. He's never done anything to disappoint you, never done anything to fail you, and there he is, and he says, now listen. He says, care for the poor. Don't favor the rich. And I stand before him and I say, no no, I'll go to church, I'll pray, I'm not going to care for the poor. Do you feel the wickedness of that? To stand before Jesus Christ with all the goodness and love and wisdom and power he has displayed, with the mercies poured out upon you, to have him say, care for the poor, don't favor the rich, and to have you say, no. No. What that shows is I'm rebelling against Jesus. My heart is rebellious against him. I'm not trusting him. And so all the other so-called obedience, that's just like convenience. That's just so like I look good. Nothing in my life then is out of real love or trust in Jesus because if it was, it all would be. Not that I'd be perfect. I'd be stumbling, but I'd, I'd be repenting. Help me. I want to trust you. I want to love you. So the fact that there's ongoing willful rebellion against Jesus shows that my heart's not trusting him. That's James' point. Look at verse 11. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law because you're not trusting Jesus. If there's ongoing sin, you're a transgressor of the law. So here's what James wants us to understand. Here's the warning. If in my heart there is willful, knowing, ongoing disobedience to Jesus' command, without repentance, without remorse, without help me, Lord Jesus, just knowing, willful disobedience to Christ, then I have not been forgiven for my sins, because I'm not trusting Jesus, and I am judged by God's word as a transgressor of the law, and I will face his judgment forever. That's the warning. Okay, now, if that's true, then how should we live? And look at what he says in verse 12. Look what James says. He says, so if that's true, if that's what God's word says, he says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Okay? Here's what he's saying. We should all live in light of the final judgment that we will all experience. God has honored Jesus by, by putting him in the place of, of judging all humanity. And so the day is going to come when you're going to stand before Jesus Christ. This is so important to think about. You before Jesus, you will be there. And everything else will be stripped away. Or nobody else will be there in the sense of, it just be you and him. Okay? And at that day, the scriptures, Genesis to Revelation, say that there's, there's two... Ways that that judgment will be expressed. There's two things that the law of liberty, the gospel, God's word will say. Two things I already mentioned. One is that if you were in your life trusting Jesus, if you were trusting Jesus, then you are completely forgiven. 100% forgiven. And you are no longer a transgressor of the law. You've been saved. Now, again, how does that happen? Let just elaborate a little bit because this is just so precious. The reason that that happened is that the moment you put your trust in Jesus, it's not that you were good enough to have that happen. It's not that you obeyed enough to earn having that happen. You just turn, just like Allison said, you bend the knee and you turn to Jesus. You come as you are. And you say, Jesus, I trust you. I receive you as my Lord. I receive you as my treasure. I receive you as my Savior. I want you, you're my Lord, you're my God, you're my heart satisfaction, I trust you. And at the moment you trust Jesus, all of, all of your sin, all past, present, future, all of your sin, every bit of your sin is taken from you, and God the Father put it onto Jesus, and God the Father punished Jesus for all of your sin. So your sin is no longer on you. You're no longer liable for the punishment. It's all been punished in Jesus. So, quiz time. How much punishment now do you still have to face? None. None. No trick question here because it's all already been put upon Jesus. So you look into your future and it is punishment free. Never, never will you be punished by God. Jesus was punished for all of your sin. And God did something else though too. He took Jesus perfect, moral righteousness. We sang the song about Jesus, my righteousness. That's what this means. God took Jesus' perfect, moral righteousness and he gave it to you as a gift. He clothed you with Jesus' perfect righteousness. So even though there's still sin in me this morning, I wish there wasn't, but there was, there is. When God looks at me now because I'm trusting Jesus, he sees a perfectly, morally righteous man. He looks at you, woman, and he sees a perfectly morally righteous woman if you're trusting Jesus. Okay, so when you're standing before Jesus Christ on that final day, there's only one thing that's going to matter. Did you trust him? If you trusted him, sin upon Jesus, punished, Jesus' righteousness given, gift forgiven, justified whole, saved forever, no judgment, no punishment, God forever, blessing, glory, joy, that's what you get if you're trusting Jesus, okay? Now, the same scripture also says a second crucial point because, and, and this is the warning, because there's lots of people who think that they're trusting Jesus. Some of you could think that you're trusting Jesus right now, and I hope you are, but you, you, may, you may not be. And so that's what the second point of the, the warning is, The second point of the warning is simply this. If you continue, or if if you're looking back in your life, if in your life you continued in known, willful, unrepentant sin, then that shows that you were not trusting Jesus. You weren't trusting him. And so you were never saved. You're not forgiven. And you're going to face God's judgment Forever. So see, James, in in, in chapter 2, verse 12, says, Speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. And these are the two things that the law of liberty, God's word, the gospel, says. It says, if you're trusting Jesus, you're completely forgiven. You're redeemed, you're saved. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter to the joy of the Lord. And God's word also says, if in your life you continued in willful, known, unrepented sin, then you weren't trusting Jesus. Your sins are still on you. You are convicted by the law as a transgressor, and you face judgment forever. See, the crucial question is, are you trusting Jesus? That's the question. Are you trusting Jesus? And if you're trusting Jesus, you will not be perfect, you will not be sinless. That, That happens... After judgment in glory, but this side of heaven, we're not perfect, we're not sinless. But if you're trusting Jesus, then you will not have an area of your life where there's willful, ongoing, unrepentant disobedience to Jesus. You'll be broken over it. You'll be saying, Jesus, please help me. I repent. Help me. Brothers and sisters, pray for me. Help me in this area. And Jesus will come, and you'll get strong, and you'll be growing. You'll be growing in righteousness through your life. You'll never become perfect this side of heaven, but you'll be growing in righteousness. And that shows that your trust is genuine. Okay? Look at verse 13, where James puts it quite slightly different. He says, judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. It's another way of saying the warning. If we show no mercy, if in my life, if in your life, we repeatedly, unrepentedly shun the poor, don't show mercy to the poor, that's what he's talking about in the context here, then James wants you to understand that you are going to face God's judgment without mercy. Does that sound harsh? Understand, God would say this, I think maybe with tears. He would be pleading with you, see this, see this, understand this. Don't be deceived. See it now. He doesn't want you to be deceived so that you're shocked when you stand before him in judgment. Now is the time to see this. Judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Think of what it would mean to face God's judgment without mercy. Just think about it and tremble. God wants you to think about it, so you won't face his judgment without mercy. Okay? Now, why would you face judgment without mercy? It's not because you weren't good enough to earn Mercy. It's not because you didn't show enough mercy to get into God's good graces. There's one reason why. It's because if through your life you chose not to show mercy, you chose to disobey Christ without repentance, without remorse, without asking him for help, then you weren't trusting Jesus. That's why. And if you're not trusting Jesus, you're going to face judgment without mercy. Then look at verse 13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, you could think that that word mercy there refers to God's mercy. And it might, and it would say something that's very true. But I think it's because the word mercy in the previous half of the verse refers to our showing mercy. I think that's what James is talking about. Commentators are split. Both are true. So here's how I take it. What James is saying is that if you show mercy not perfectly by any means, not flawlessly by any means, but if if the longing of your heart and if your prayer to Christ and if the the desire in you is to, Lord, help me to show mercy, if that's your longing, then you're not going to face God's judgment because you're trusting Jesus because he paid for all of your sins. He was judged in your place. That's how it works. Now, don't misunderstand. It's not... Your showing of mercy that saves you. It's so important in in our kind of religious mindset. We keep going back there. It's not your showing of mercy that saves you. It's your trust in Jesus that saves you. And if you're trusting Jesus, when he says, show mercy to the poor, you'll say, if you'll help me, I will. And then you will, because he will help you. Okay, what does this mean for us? Four things, and then let's hear some, some questions. Here we've seen James give us weapons, warnings, and his motive in giving us these warnings isn't to make us feel bad. His motive in giving us these warnings is to help us so we won't show partiality and we'll care for the poor. Okay, So we'll trust Jesus more and overcome the temptation. So, four, four implications. First of all, understand that the reason God gives you warnings is because he loves you. Okay, The Bible's full of warnings. Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus teaching, Paul, Peter, James, Moses, full of warnings. And the reason God gives you these warnings is because he loves you. He doesn't want you to be stunned and horrified at that last day when I thought I was trusting Jesus. See, we've got got to understand this. You can go forward at meetings and pray prayers and not be trusting Jesus Are you trusting him? Do you love Jesus? Do you desire him? Are you seeking him as your Lord, trusting him as your Savior, submitting to him as your Lord, enjoying him as your heart satisfaction? Are you trusting Jesus in your heart? Do you trust him? Not just do you agree with certain doctrinal truths, but do you trust the living Jesus? Do you know him? Do you trust him? The time to ask that question is now. And God wants to give us these warnings now because he wants us to ask the question now. So understand, it's because of God's love that he gives these warnings to us. Second, when you're tempted to sin, use God's warnings. Now, that's not the only weapon God gives us. I love to use God's promises. Promises are precious to meditate on to fight temptation. I love stories of God's faithfulness. That helps me to overcome temptation. I love descriptions of Jesus' love and goodness and glory and mercy and the resurrection and his, his healing the sick and all those things are powerful weapons, but we also need to learn to use the warnings because I have found in my life that the warnings are particularly suited to kind of just kind of wake me up it's like Fuller. what are you doing? Are, are you really going to go on that road with what the warnings say that road leads you to wake up? See warnings like, Oh, wake up. What's, what's going on? And I need the warnings. And when I deal with issues of greed, or lust, or pride, I'll pull out what I call the big guns, like this passage. Or the other ones I put in your notes there, and just say, Jesus, help me to see what's going on here. I'm getting lulled into spiritual complacency. Wake me up! And time and time again, he's been faithful to do that for me. So preach the warnings to yourself. And then third, if you are involved in willful sin, and here's what I mean. I would guess that some of you are here this morning and uh, you have an area of your life where you are just plain disobeying Jesus and you've chosen to do that and you think you can rationalize because you do these other things that are good. This part is okay. And and James with tears in his eyes would tell you if you're involved in a willful sin and you're not trusting Jesus, please, please, please understand, you're not trusting him. I mean, if he looks you in the eye and says, care for the poor, and you look at him and you say, no, you're not trusting him. You're not trusting him. Do you see that? There's just no way you can understand the word trust and have you say no to him. And so I just want to encourage you, please take this to heart. If you have an area of willful sin in your life that you're just kind of, like you're nurturing a bitterness against someone and you're just not going to forgive them. This is just, you go there, it makes you feel good to feel that anger because they hurt you. Or it's a porn issue, just your own little escape here. But yeah, you do this, 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 is all good, but that, that makes this okay. Yeah, I'm a little guilty, but you know this all makes up for it. It does not. It doesn't. I want to be strong in this because Jesus Christ, I guarantee you, Jesus Christ will enable you to move in overcoming, to grow in overcoming whatever area you've clung to. And you will look back one day and just say, how could I have clung to that? That was dust and ashes in my mouth compared to drinking the living water of knowing Jesus Christ. You will say that. You will say that. Many in this room have said that. So if you're involved in willful sin, hear God's warnings. Unless something changes, it shows that you're not trusting Jesus and you will face God's judgment without mercy. Oh, church, please take this to heart. Please take this to heart. That's why you're here. One of the reasons you're here this morning. Now, fourth, it's so crucial. Let the warnings lead you not to moral effort but to trusting Jesus. Don't think, okay, porn, all right man, here about the porn thing, okay, and I'm going to really I'm going to like grit my teeth here and no more. That's the path of death. Okay? Because either either you'll pull it off without trusting Jesus or you won't pull it off without trusting Jesus. Okay? But either way you're not trusting Jesus. And one more time, how do we get saved? By trusting Jesus. Okay, trust him. Trust him. Turn your heart towards him. to Say, Jesus, help me. This has got such a hold on me. Look at the cross. Your death crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. When you died, I'm trusting you. When you died, you broke the power of that sin in me. Help me cry out to Him, ask some brothers to pray with you, pile up scriptures, use the weapons of the warnings, use the weapons of the promises, use the weapons, and when you turn and trust Jesus, what will happen is you look to Jesus, you look to the cross, you look at His love, you look at His goodness, and you trust him. And your heart will start to be so satisfied in knowing him that you will see what a pathetic substitute porn is. The satisfaction you get from porn is just crap compared to the, the joy and the fullness we get from knowing Jesus Christ. I mean, why would you go eat like an upside-down peanut butter sandwich in the gutter when you got tri-tips sizzling on the barbecue? Right? Why would you do that? unless you have forgotten about the barbecue and you're starving, so turn your eyes on the barbecue. Oh, man, that's good. And then you you open up the lid of the barbecue? Oh, Oh, this is good, right? But see, it's faith in Jesus. It's not gritting your teeth. Gritting your teeth is the path of death. Please don't hear that here. It's not like, okay, I'm going to really work hard on being good this week. No! It's not what I'm saying at all. It's Jesus, I want to trust you. I want to taste again of who you are. I want to feed on living bread. I want to drink of living water. Satisfy my soul so I won't pursue the lesser pleasures that are so much less than you. Do you hear that? So don't don't hear this as more moral effort. Hear this as trusting Jesus. Okay, what... What questions has this stirred up? That's a really good question. And here's the thought that just popped into my mind now, so take it for what it's worth, okay? I think he chooses one that would be so heinous in our minds and so wicked in our minds because he wants us to feel how ludicrous it would be for a murderer to say that they're okay even though they haven't committed adultery. It's like, are you kidding me? So I think he chooses one that is extremely wicked and that we would all agree is extremely wicked so we feel how ludicrous it is to say well yeah i've murdered somebody but i haven't committed adultery so i'm okay right no because we all kind of intuitively feel that that's the thought that pops into my mind that's why i think he might have chosen one that's so and that's the worst one on the list just from a human perspective right what's worse than murder on the ten commandments i mean from our perspective Okay, maybe that's what he's alluding to by using murder. He's, he's speaking more broadly as hatred, possibly. He says, he says, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. In other words, he's just told this rich young ruler, sell everything and follow me. And the rich young ruler loves his money more than Jesus. So how's he, he going to follow Jesus then? Well, it's impossible. He doesn't want to follow. He wants money more than Jesus. So it's impossible for him. But it's possible for God. God can change his heart. God can take out that heart of stone, give him a heart of flesh. So he opens his eyes and sees Jesus is a million bucks and this money's a quarter. I'll go for the million bucks. So, so it's impossible for people because we don't want him, but it's possible for God because he changes our wants when he saves us. So anyway. Okay? Luke 18, I think it is. is it Luke 18? Uh, 10. Luke 10. Mark 10, Mark 10 is, is or, uh, one of them. Yeah. 18. Luke 18? Okay. Okay, no, we've got to stop. Um, let me close, but if you've got other questions or comments, let's talk. But, so church, God in great love is warning you with a smile on his face and tears in his eyes So just just turn and trust Jesus. Trust him. Okay. Don't hold on to that area of willful known sin. Lay it down. Trust my son. He'll help you. He will help you. He will help you. He will help you. He will help you. you. So Lord, I pray that you'd work in our hearts right now. I pray that no one would leave here this morning holding on to an area of unrepented, unconfessed sin. Please, Jesus. Anybody who feels like they could never change Let them see the cross. Let them see the power of your resurrection. Let them see what you can do, Lord. Give them stronger faith right now. And let them just bend the knee before you and and ask you for help. And thank you, Jesus, that you will always help us when we turn to you and trust you and call upon you. So, Lord, I pray that you would do that. I pray that nobody would leave here this morning uh, really passionate about more moral effort, Oh, Lord, help us to leave here this morning embracing you, Jesus, loving you, clinging to you, trusting you. Do that, I pray, for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Amen.